Montgomery County, Maryland is where businesses go to be next. Home to a highly skilled, diverse workforce, a thriving business community, competitive incentives, and more. MoCo will help transform your business. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how we can help you be next. Want to create a breakthrough gene therapy? Pioneer aerospace excellence? Start a global hospitality brand? Be next to do it in Montgomery County, Maryland. Visit bnext.thinkmoco.com to see how our top talent, diversity, and location will help you be the next company to change the world. You're listening to the Fantrax Podcast Network. Fantasy Sports Entertainment lives here. Welcome to the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed. If you love prospects, you came to the right place, as that's what this show is all about. Covering all levels of the minors to help give you an advantage in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. All right, prospect fanatics around the world, welcome to the Toolshed. This is episode two of the Fantrax Prospect Toolshed with Clegg and Cross. I'm your host, Eric Cross. You can find me on Twitter at EricCross04 and all of my written work exclusively on FantraxHQ.com. Joining me in the toolshed, as always, is my esteemed co-host from Fantrax HQ, Mr. Chris Clegg. You can find him on Twitter at RotoClegg. Chris, what's up, man? Eric, man, doing good. I'm excited to be back. Talk some more first-year player guys. and Looking forward to a good night. Absolutely. Yeah, the first episode was so damn fun. We decided to do it again, come back and talk some more First year player, rather some pitchers this time. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun night. But before we get into you know, all the great pitchers in this deep draft, a little bit of housekeeping and some notes here. Uh, as I mentioned, you can find us all on Twitter. I'm at Aircross04. Chris is at Roto Clegg, and our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five star review on iTunes because we are on iTunes now. Uh, we're on all the platforms except for we're still waiting on confirmation from iHeartRadio, which Probably will be will happen by next episode, I'm assuming, but we should be in all the other Stitcher, Spotify, you know, iTunes, as I mentioned, all those, Spreaker, obviously. So um, should be everywhere. If not, tag us. We'll see what we can do. We're getting on uh, that platform. And the reviews so far have been absolutely phenomenal. Like, we've only been on iTunes for about, got 48 hours tops. And we've already gotten, uh, let's just see here, 16 uh, five-star ratings and six glorious reviews i'll read them real quick here um from uh rdkol83 great information this came out just in time from my first year player draft being new to the uh, to the league this pod helped me make informed picks especially for the later rounds uh brewers rule cubs rule i like that uh great job i love the work you guys do keep it up i'll be expecting seven episodes per week I would love to do that, but I don't think our schedules will uh, allow seven episodes per week, especially, especially if you guys want us to keep writing that as much as we do. Um, but I wish we could. Thank you for that. Uh, from Quarantine Guys 747 about time. Love listening to Clegging and Eric Cross. They've been working for this uh, on this for a while, and the first episode was great. Anyone that is serious into fantasy baseball slash prospect, this is a must listen. Uh, from Skylar Nelson, who's been a big supporter for a while. Uh, fantasy baseball industry goats team up. Eric Clegg and Chris Cross are titans of the prospect evaluation and fantasy baseball industry. Every take and opinion is backed up with facts and data, unless Eric is gushing about Garrett Hampson. True, very true. Um, their delivery is very fluid and easy to listen to so much so that 
the roughly 50 to 60 minute pod feels like it lasts five minutes. If you are in a dynasty or just love prospects in general, this is the pod for you. If I could give it six stars, I would. Uh, and then from our good buddy, Michael Simeon from SP Streamer, a great new podcast. Both Chris and Eric are great at what they do and make for a great pairing. Thank you, Michael. And then from uh, another friend of ours, David Mendelson of the Triple Play Pod and of Fantrax as well. This is a must for any base, uh, baseball fan or fantasy player. Cross and Clegg are two of the brightest minds in the baseball industry and do a good job of breaking down the next wave of great players and in coming into the major leagues. If you're looking to get a jump on your league mates in Dynasty Leagues or just like listening to baseball content, this is the pod for you. So everybody that's supported us either on iTunes or just reaching out to us on Twitter or wherever, thank you so much. Um, we can't do it without you. Uh, and a couple of shout-outs as well. Uh, Van Lee, um, our producer here at Fantrax HQ, who often goes you know under the radar behind the scenes. But he did you know a lot of this legwork, most of the legwork to get this podcast you know up and running with everything he's that voice you hear in our intro that's van i'm um, doing his announcer voice as he calls it um so thank you so much van for all you did for us and a shout out to uh you chris for making that awesome logo that we have that you all see on twitter that was chris 110 chris clegg uh, great work there buddy um yeah so this one thank everybody for the support so uh, we love it we appreciate it um we're, we're gonna keep doing keep doing this for a while we, we love doing this so now, this will be a fun little pod that we're, we're really enjoying this so far. So hope you are, are as well. All right, enough of that. Let's get into some more first-year player draft talk here. Um, did hitters last week in episode one, so definitely check that out if you missed that. And we're going to do pitches this week. And, you know, usually, you know, hitters are more exciting than pitchers. But this draft, Chris, you know, pitching was very talented and very deep. Yeah, it's an extremely deep class. Um, we were talking before we came on here just about how compared to last year, just how many pitchers and how deep it really is. From Honestly, from the top to the bottom, there's a ton of talent. And, and while the hitters were good, the pitchers might outshine them. So looking forward to talking about all these guys. There's probably more than we can cover in our show time, but there's a great group. We're going to cover as many as we can and looking forward to that. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a yeah, we could do like a four hour pod just on pitchers. Like I said, the talent, the depth throughout, you know, kind of rounds one through five. There was great, you know, great pitchers getting drafted in round five. So if you, you know, if your prospect, you know, roster on your dynasty league team is uh, hurting for pitching, this is the year to to stock up, especially if you can acquire some extra picks. And even if you get some extra third, fourth round picks in your drafts, that'd be you know, what, 35 to 50 range or something like that, depending on your league size. You know, this is the year's a lot of mid-round picks. Yeah, everyone talks about the top guys, which we'll get into. Um, but it goes far beyond those top names. There's just so much depth. Um, but let's start right at the top here. You know, this draft, there is a consensus top three. You know, and everywhere you look, you see a different rating of uh, ranking of the three. Um, Chris, who do, between Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock, and Max Meyer, who was your favorite one out of that trio? That's so tough. It's, it's a tough, tough, tough question, tough isn't it? Question to answer. <laughs> I have Emerson Hancock ranked higher from a standpoint of the floor. I just really like the floor. I feel like it's a little bit higher than Lacey. I think Lacey arguably has more upside. Meyer probably has more upside as well. But I don't know, man. Hancock's arsenal is, is just really good. And those three secondaries he has are – 
it just works him well, and the floor I just feel like is that much higher. So, and my top three is Hancock, Lacey, and Meyer, but they're all pretty close. Yeah, I, I'm the same here. I have the exact same order, uh, and just to show how close they are, like you mentioned, in my overall rankings, Hancock is six, Lacey is eight, and Meyer is ten. And before uh, Hashan Kim came, was it Kim? Yeah, um, came along to move into that seven spot. Hancock and Lacey were back to back, so basically almost back to back to back. Uh, in my overall rankings here. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. I like, you know, I always talk about combination of, of ceiling and floor. I kind of tried to combine those two together when making my evaluation. And I do agree. I think if we're talking strictly upside, I would probably put Lacey number one overall, followed by Hancock and Meyer pretty close. And, and still, it's there's not a big gap in terms of upside either. Um, but I do think Hancock has a higher floor and, and people kind of, Seem to forget that you go know, coming into the 2020 collegiate season, you know, Hancock was the, you know, in early mock drafts, I was like, Hancock was the dude, you know, Lacey and Meyer kind of came on. No, no, they weren't like, you know, nobody's, they're still first round picks, but they kind of ascended into, you know, top 10 overall picks where Lacey went four to Kansas city and Meyer right before him as the first pitcher off the board, number three to Miami, which was a little bit of a shock. And then Hancock went six to Seattle. It's so all top six picks. But uh, yeah, Hancock was the guy. He was the number one guy overall, not just for pitches. As overall, he was pitched to go number one overall in the draft. Um, and the shortened season where he only got, uh, I think, it was four starts in, kind of really hurt him more than most because he didn't look overly great. Like he didn't have bad numbers in those starts, but the fastball command was kind of suspect. Um, he walked a little more than he had prior, so a lot of these issues with command and control that weren't there his first few seasons at the university of georgia kind of you know reared their ugly head in those four starts unfortunately so i kind of knocked him down a peg and allowed lacy and meyer to enter that conversation but like you mentioned chris the you know three secondaries are great i think this it's a plus fastball potential uh, if he can get the command back to where he showed uh, early on at georgia i think he'd be at least an above average fastball and maybe plus like i said if, if the that the command gets better Changeup is at least plus, sliders plus, curveball um, is, you know, at least an average offering and flashes above average. And I remember he, he did a, a chat on uh, one of the Seattle Mariners Twitter hand. I don't know if it was the Mariners Twitter handle or one of their player development ones, um, but he did like a question and answer session like last week. And someone asked him like, you know, if you need a, if you need to get a strikeout, what pitch are you going to? And he said a slider. So, um, which is a great slider, plus slider, a lot of good late bite on that two plane break. So, you know, I love all three of these guys, but, you know, if I had to pick one, I think I'm going Hancock as well. But like we said, there's not a big gap between any of these three, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got them three back-to-back in my overalls as well, so pretty close, like you said. And I, I've yet to factor in the, the international guys. But I, I partially wonder, playing in the SEC, you know, oftentimes I think guys kind of tinker with stuff at the beginning of the year. And so I wonder if he was working on some things, getting ready for conference play. And, you know, I mean, he didn't face great competition. And so I just wonder if he was working on several things. Um, but overall, I still I, I trust the larger body of work as opposed to the four starts that he made this year. And I think I think he really had just one blow up start that really mm-hmm. kind of inflated some numbers there. But, yeah, I mean, Hancock's my guy as well. But Lacey's tailing in right there behind him because – I mean, that he can be a lead also. And there's no doubt with the potential to be a frontline starter. I mean, that fastball's really good, sits between 92 and 97. 
And with his big frame, he just gets such good a downhill plane with that fastball and mm-hmm. uh, easily a plus pitch in my brain. And Lacey has those two distinct breaking pitches as well and his, his curve and his slider. Um, I think the slider is probably a plus pitch there and the curve average to above average. But also he throw in that change up again, four pitch mix is, is pretty good. It's Hancock, the same thing. But when you have those four pitches you can go to, it, it really matters. And if one's not working, just transition that other one. So that's a big deal there. And I think that's what sets those two above Max Meyer for me is because they have four offerings. And yep. I don't think Meyer does. Lacey can be elite. There's no doubt he can be a frontline starter. But I just think Hancock's the safer floor like we've mentioned there. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, that, that that's the slider from Lacey. It's it's that's a beauty. That's a thing of beauty. And and he's shown that that changeup I've seen does kind of flash above average at times. Um, maybe maybe even plus. But I think mean, if he can get a little more consistent uh, consistency with that pitch, I think that definitely be a big help to him too. But still, yeah, like we mentioned, I think the, yeah, the better all all run Arsenal is go to Hancock and Lacey. That's kind of why I have I have them over Meyer, even though I, I love Meyer. Um, you know, Meyer has a. a maybe the best like two pitch combo in the draft with his fastball and his slider. Um, you know, does, does have a change up as well. That's behind obviously, but yeah, you know, definitely um, there's no really, it, it, there's no wrong choice here. You know, if someone wants to have Meyer first and then Lacey, then Hancock, I wouldn't have, it. I wouldn't scoff at it. So um, definitely if you, if you get a pick kind of like in the mid to back end of your, you know, more so in the mid round, part of the first round um, that, and you need a, an arm, you know, any one of these three would definitely be a big help to you. Um, and then I think both of our number four started on the board where I think on upside, he is right up with Hancock and Lacey and maybe even like I, I said it in my article that this guy might wind up as the best arm from this class that he has that upside. And that's Mick Abel. I know. And you have him, Chris, even higher than me, which is just like unheard of. I thought I was like the high man on <laughs> now everyone's high in McAbell. He went fifteenth overall to the Phillies. So I'm not he's not like a that's you know, not a huge thing for me to say, but you know, McAbell is just absolutely filthy. Yeah, there's no question in that. I mean, I have him tenth overall in my rankings and as a Braves fan, I hate to see the Phillies get a guy like this. But as a fantasy player, I absolutely love the potential here. And I think that there's going to be good value because I don't think he goes as high as 10. I think he's again, probably going to sit around 15 or so Mm -hmm. in first year player drafts, but he's was an elite high school pitcher, a super projectable frame. He's six foot five fastball already sits 93 to 95 counters it with a really good slider as a high schooler. He throws a lot of strikes. So that's a big thing for high schoolers. He's got a great makeup, a lot of maturity there. And this is a guy who I can't wait to watch pitch. Like when he actually gets up in the minors, I'm super excited to watch him. As am I. And you, know, you mentioned kind of where he probably will go with first year player drafts. In the actual draft, I was sitting there watching it, and my Red Sox pick were picking 17th. And I kept seeing, you know, everyone else get drafted. And I'm like, oh, we're gonna get Micah Bell. We need an impact arm. We have not many good arms like Jay Groom. Is our best arm, and you know, he hasn't pitched in about foot in 16 to 20 years or so. But uh, I thought we were gonna get Mika Bell, and then we end up getting Nick York. But yeah, Mika Bell, I could just sit here, like, like I said before we came on, I could talk about again for an hour alone on Mika <laughs> Bell 
Now you, you, you hit on you know a lot of the great points there. The fact that he's six five, still has physical projection left on that frame. You know, mid nineties fastball. We could be looking at a you know, if he if he adds a few ticks of velocity as he matures and adds bulk, this could be a double plus fastball. You know, it would be surprised me if he's up there throwing like Berlin or th- throwing high nineties consistently by the time his you know he gets up to Philadelphia. But then all those secondary offerings, you know, the slider and changeup already showing plus. I uh, just added the curveball recently, um, which is at least looks like it could be at least a serviceable fourth offering, um, which all, that's all it really needs to be. Uh, and you mentioned too, like he's more advanced than most you know high school arms are when they get drafted. So um, I'm not saying he, obviously he's not a finished product. He's not this a super you know command control guy, but better than you see from most arms his age. So that uh, that feels very promising that you know with some development um, in the Philly system that he could. You know, be you know, a guy that's uh, above average in both command and control as well. So, yeah, if you got to pick a- anything after ten, I'd be okay with. You know, but if you have a pick in the mid-teens, like you mentioned, Chris, I would be all on board. Especially if, if you miss the first three, Mickabell is that's your guy right there. He's a clear-cut number four for me. Uh, there's a about a ten overall spot drop in my top one hundred to the next arm, who we'll talk about here in a second. But yeah, Micah Bell, this guy, like I said, he might end up being the top pitcher from this draft. It wouldn't shock me. And that's, you know, we discussed about the top three and how good they are. So that's saying something. I like Micah Bell just as much as those three. But obviously, he's the high school arm. Those three are the college guys that are more advanced, more polished right now. Um, but Micah Bell could definitely get up in that level very soon here. So I will, I will also be very intrigued to uh, see him get on a, on a mound here in game action. Hopefully, hopefully next year. I keep saying, you know, hopefully when things are back to normal. But that's don't guarantee um, but you know, hopefully we get a normal minor league season next year. We can get Micka Bell on the mound in games to see what see what he can do, and that's to be a fun fun kid to watch develop for sure. So my next guy here, uh, my number fifth ranked pitcher in this class, uh, made, actually made his major league debut this year, um, which we probably wouldn't have seen in a normal season. But White Sox needed an, an arm out of that pen, a lefty arm, so they brought up the uh, number eleven overall pick, Garrett Crochet. You know, and one of the, you know, the Chris Sale comps were instant. Like, even in the draft, like, all right, he's a big, tall, lanky southpaw, throws hard, has a plus breaking pitch. Oh, look, Chris Sale 2.0. And I get it. You know, there's, there are a lot of similarities there. I don't think anyone's saying he's going to be Chris Sale. But the upside is very apparent with him. But also, the, there's a little bit of concern or questions around his future role. Uh, at least, you know, what people were asking me on Twitter. I got that when he made his debut, like, oh, is he a starter? Is he a reliever long-term? You know, I think he's a starter. I think the White Sox are going to try him as a starter. I don't think he drafted a guy at number 11 overall if you plan on putting him in the bullpen. Um, but what do you think, Chris? Where do you think he uh, Garrett Crochet ends up long-term? Yeah, like you said, I can't imagine they take someone that high just to leave him in the pen. That would be terrible, terrible management. But then again, what did we see out of the White Sox today? They hired <laughs> Tony <laughs> Larusa. That is true. That is very true. So beyond that, uh, it was interesting. I mean, we saw you saw what Crochet was capable of. It probably boosted him up a little bit in in FYPD value. Like people may overdraft him a little bit. I mean, obviously the fastball is pretty elite. He set 100 regularly. He dominated hitters. The concerning thing was that he used that fastball 85% of the time. I know smaller sample, 
I just want to see him use the slider and change more. Like he's got both those pitches are are really good. I mean, they're average to above average pitches already. And I want to see him use those pitches. Obviously, if he's going to be a starter, he's going to have to incorporate those pitches more. He can't just rely on the fastball. And I'm going to hope that he just relied on the fastball because he knew he could blow it by hitters because he was only pitching for an inning and they couldn't catch up to him. Um, I think that he'll definitely need to show the ability to use both those secondary offerings effectively if he does want to be a starter long-term. I just have such a hard time imagining drafting a guy 11th overall to stay in the pen. So I'm going to say he's a starter long-term for right now. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on that. Like I said, you don't draft a guy that high or in the first round in general if you, if you think he's going to be a reliever. Now, could he be a reliever on the road? Sure. I don't think th- – you know, I'm not saying I'm 100% certain that Crochet is going to be a starter because he does have, you know, a very sl- lanky, slight frame. He's already dealing with a little bit of arm issues. Hopefully this is a minor thing that, you know, with rest this offseason will will help take care of. He'll be fine going into spring training uh, next spring. But, you know, there is some reliever risk here. So I can see if people shy away from him because of that. But like you mentioned, you know, the f- double plus fastball that he, he was hitting 100 with ease. Um, when he came up, obviously out of the bullpen, obviously, you know, fastballs tick up, velocity ticks up a little bit because you don't have to worry about the, you know, long term, you know, making 80 to 100 pitches in the start. So you can really kind of ratchet it up a bit. But you know, on the sliders, definitely filthy plus slider change up you know, is there as at least average third offering. So I don't, I don't want to say he's a project as a college arm. He's not, I don't, project's not the right word, but, you know, there is, you know, some tinkering that needs to be done, some, you know, molding that needs to be done here. Um, to make him into that kind of frontline starter that he could be. You know, best case scenario, we could be looking at, you know, a high-end number two or something like that with a, a guy that just racks up the case from, from the left side. Um, but, you know, that that's still far off. He didn't make too many starts at Tennessee um, until, you know, more towards the end of his collegiate career. So uh, I really think there's a lot of potential here, but, you know, he's a little more risky than most of these top collegiate arms that you'll be drafting in this range. But, now, definitely very, very appealing um, for fantasy purposes. And a couple more here in the kind of top part of first-year player drafts. Um, actually, the next two in my rankings. And then we're kind of back to the Abel mold here with these higher upside high school guys. And I have them 22nd and 24th overall. And that's Nick Bisco of the Tampa Bay Rays, who was drafted 24th overall. Um, and then Jared Kelly of the White Sox, who went 47th overall. Now, for you, Chris, which one of these two arms are you higher on? And is there a big gap for you between the two? Yeah, I'm pretty aggressive on Bisco, like like Nick Abel. I've got Bisco 14th overall, and he's my fifth overall pitcher. So right behind uh, Mick Abel there. I love Bisco, man. I think Bisco might be the biggest uh, value in the draft, considering he fell to 24, and he went to an elite organization like the Rays when with developing pitchers, they do a tremendous job with that. Uh, Bitsko is extremely young and very polished. Like we talked about uh, Abel being polished, but uh, Bitsko is a year younger. He graduated high school a year early. I think a big reason that he failed was due to his late call to graduate early. And a lot of teams weren't prepared to, they hadn't scouted him enough to take him high enough, but he fell right into the lap of a great organization and I think he's going to be a stud, man. He throws three pitches extremely well, future plus command. I love I love Bitsko, man. I'm excited about him and 
pretty aggressive on him as well. Maybe a hair high, but I'm not going to shy off that ranking because I love the potential there that he offers. I do too. Where, where do you have him ranked over, overall in, in your rankings? At 14th. Are you 14th. in my prospect? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the FIPD 14th. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's the, like I said, I have, I have him 22nd, but you know, he is, I, I echo a lot of what you just said, even um, in my top 100 article that I put out uh, where I put out initially back in June after the draft and then updated um, most recently about mm, two weeks ago or so. You know, the first sentence in my um, uh, Nick Bisco section was a high upside but raw high school arm landing in arguably the best system for developing pitching talent yes please and that's true like you mentioned tampa bay has been arguably the best if not you know at least one of the top three organizations for developing pitching talent we've seen all the the talent that's come through there over the years they haven't been able to really keep it long term obviously because their payroll restraints but um definitely and that's the reason why they made it as far as they did you know, in this postseason, uh, along with our Rosarena going all Babe Ruth and everyone, but um, that pitching, you know, Blake Snell, you know, they even have more guys too coming up with, you know, Brendan McKay and uh, Shane Boz. This is so, and maybe Brent Honeywell if he can get back on the mound. Uh, so much pitching talent in that system, and then Nick Bisco uh, just adds to it. And it's just it's a plethora of, of pitching riches um, in this system. So I love this landing spot. Loved Bisco even before that. Like he was one of my favorite arms in this draft. Once I, I studied up on him, um, and then him landing in Tampa Bay, he was another guy where it was like, all right, if we don't get Mickabel at seventeen, my Red Sox, oh, let's get Nick Bisco, and they just pass on both and several other good arms that went right after our pick. But that's either here nor there. Um, but yeah, Nick Bisco is definitely you know, huge, huge upside, and he'll probably go a little. I, I'd be willing to say ten spots or so after a Bell for the most part in, in your first year player draft. So maybe in the, in the second round, mid second, you know, so I, I have him 22nd, Chris has him 14th. I think you can probably get him maybe, you know, into the twenties somewhere. Um, as people just certainly haven't seen much, there's not many much out there on him. You know, like you mentioned, Chris, it was kind of teams were scrambling to you know get their reports on him because they weren't expecting him to be in this draft. So uh, definitely if you're looking for an upside pick and you, and you've got you know, that second round pick, I definitely would go after, uh, Nick Bisco, and then real quick on Jared Kelly, who I, I'm also pretty high on, uh, not quite as high as Bisco, but you know, he was looked at as a you know first round guy. I thought I was thinking actually, Red Sox might even go after him. Um, as, I, as I heard some rumblings, you know, obviously there was a ton of rumblings around draft season, but I uh, heard some rumblings that, that they were interested in him. But obviously, he fell to actually 47. Um, so there was some there was some makeup concerns, but the fact that the White Sox got both Crochet and Jared Kelly with their you know, first two round picks. That is, you know, for a team that, you know, the hitting's in place, the pitching, you know, they got some, you know, obviously Giolito and Kopech and never Dane Dunning. Um, just to add these two guys, they could have a potentially filthy staff. And everything breaks right. That staff is going to be absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, Kelly, I think could be a nice, you know, number three starter, maybe uh, ceiling a number two. Um, a lot of strikeout upside. There are some concerns about the effectiveness of a slider overall. We'll see how that uh, progresses. But, yeah, definitely another high upside arm. But, um, yeah, if I had to pick between the two, I would, I would go Bisco as well. Before we take a quick break here, uh, Chris, who are – right in order, who are your top ten pitchers overall from this draft? All right. So, one, uh, Emerson Hancock, two, Asa Lacey, three, Max Meyer, four, Mick Abel, five, Nick Bitsko, six, Garrett Crochet, seven, Reed Detmers, eight, Jared Kelly, 
Nine might surprise some people, Cole Wilcox, and 10, Bryce Jarvis. Those are my top 10 pitchers for this year. We're very close. Uh, Some shuffling here. So my top 10 pitchers from this draft class are Emerson Hancock, Asa Lacey, Max Meyer, Micah Bell, Garrett Crochet, Nick Bisco, uh, Jared Kelly, which is at number seven now, uh, Reed Detmers, eight, Cade Cavalli, I have at nine, uh, and I, I have Cole Wilcox at 10, and then Brett Sharpness at 11. So uh, we have a, a pretty similar, just a little bit of shuffling in the back end of that, but um, I, think, I think there's a pretty clear cut, you know, top 10-ish or top 12 or so arms in this draft that are all great options in the first couple of rounds of your first-year player draft. But with that, we'll take a quick break, come back on the other side and talk a lot more arms and then give you some uh, kind of breakout picks that uh, to target later on in your first-year player draft. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back from the break. We've already been talking a ton of talented arms here, and there's so many more. As we mentioned, you know, we could have a you know four-hour pod on chess pitches from this draft because of all the talent and depth here. But let's get into some of like the mid-round names here. And we kind of ranked our, our top 10, which was pretty similar, you know. And then getting these mid-round guys, I, Bryce Jarvis is one that you had him at 10. I am at 11. Um, and he could be ranked higher, obviously, honestly, because he was the number 18 overall pick to Arizona, who was another system where, well, they don't have the big-name pitching prospects yet, but they have a, a ton of pitching uh, talent and depth in that system, but more so guys that are a little bit further down, like Blake Walston, for example, who's, who I love, Luis Frias, you know, guys like that. Um, but Bright, they added Bryce Jarvis and Slade uh, Siani later on at the uh, 33rd overall pick in the, uh, in the tail end of the first round there and the comp part of the round. Um, so out of these guys, who was who like one or two out of this mid-range, it really sticks out to you, Chris. So Jarvis is definitely one. I love the progression he made. I mean, he kind of came as like a nobody prior to this year and came out of nowhere. I mean, his fastball in 2019 was sitting like 86 to 91. And this year he came out and was firing 92, 96. I mean, he was killing it through a perfect game in February. He showed really good command. He had a, a 40 to two K to walk ratio in 27 innings, which was quite impressive. So Jarvis, again, he's in the top 10, but he's a guy who's going to be, I think, go later that I like a lot. Uh, Tanner Burns is another one that I'm pretty big on one because of where he landed. And we know Cleveland's track record with developing pitchers. I mean, they just do a tremendous job. And that makes the Tanner Burns pick look even better. And I actually saw a video of him today, I think, on Twitter surfacing from uh, the Indians' perspective count, whatever whatever that uh, minor league account they have is. But that's, him, that's, that's a great account, too. That's a great yeah. account for all your Indians, you know, all your Indians' prospect needs. So. Right. There's, there's a few accounts that just do a really good job. Like the Mariners do a good job of promoting their guys. Mm-hmm. The Indians do an awesome job, too. So there's a lot of good stuff out there. There's some risk here with – Burns, I mean, he's had some shoulder issues, so the injury risk is there. Um, but at 100%, Burns has a fastball that works up to 97, has really good command on that. Um, has a solid slider as well that sits in the low 80s. I think he needs to develop the change a little more to be successful at the next level. Um, there were some concerns with durability. 
not a lot of projectability left in his frame. He's a smaller guy. Um, but some, honestly, like from a body standpoint, I see some of Sony Gray there, which is interesting. Mm. But I do like Burns, even despite the risk. I think he, you're going to get him late enough that it's worth the upside to take the risk there. So Burns is another one that I'm pretty big on. Yeah, if you're going to take a risk on somebody from that Cleveland Indians pitching factory um, that they have had over the last you know five to ten years or so, uh, kind of in that same mold, you know, a guy I like in the middle rounds uh, went 29th overall to the Los Angeles Dodgers, who was a great uh, farm system. We had uh, Cody Hosey on on five tool back right when the pandemic started back in like late March or so. And he and this is a guy that was just drafted, you know, last year and only has been at the time was in the system for what's that about eight, nine months or so and only had 40 or so games under his belt in the low minors. He just could not talk enough about how much he loved that system how much how well they treat their prospects how well they feed their prospects um like they're, they're giving them you know some really good meals they want them to eat well um and you know the just the player development there now that you could say top to bottom that might be the best you know, overall farm system in baseball and, and it showed with how many homegrown guys they had um that played key roles for them in winning the world series this year and you know, bobby miller and it's another guy that is drafted in the tail end of the first round. Now, kind of a, kind of similar to Tanner Burns. He's a he's a big guy. Now, there's some risk here, um, but big guy, six five, you know, mid to upper nineties, two seamer, really really hard bore um, and sink on that. Uh, that's a that's a nightmare for righties. Like you know when, when he's running that inside, you know under the hands, that that's a hard pitch just to barrel up. Um, and then he'll he'll mix in both a uh, kind of a mid eighties split change. And harder, you know, upper 80s slider kind of could tweak that and turn it into a cutter at times. But, you know, both of those flash above average, you know, but neither one really stands out as like a pure plus offering. And they both flash it at times. But I think a little more consistency, you know, in development of the secondaries could be great. Even if he just establishes one as, a, as kind of go-to primary out pitch, that'd be great. I think that's why you saw him. He didn't miss a ton of back. He didn't have the super high strikeout rates at Louisville. And he kind of did in his last, you know, handful of starts, um, but, you know, didn't really have that high strikeout rate. as a high effort delivery, um, command kind of come and go, start to start. Uh, so there is, I think, a little bit of bullpen risk here, though. Obviously, the Dodgers give him every chance to become a starter. But, you know, maybe, maybe he's another one of those guys like Dustin May or Gonsolin that kind of gets into that dreaded, like, sixth starter swingman role race throwing two, three innings a couple times a week, but we'll see. That's that's way down the road. But uh, Bobby Miller's a guy I like in the middle rounds, um, has some upside there. Um, yeah, so many more here, like Daxton Fulton, very raw lefty, um, didn't, had some injuries, but he had for, he has first-round stuff, um, big camera curveball, low 90s fastball, um, projection on that frame, um, so he can definitely get that fastball up a little bit. But it's always interesting to see, you know, where that, where a pitcher's velocity come, you know, is post Tommy John surgery. So uh, he's an interesting one. Maybe if you want to get a breakout in the middle rounds, uh, Daxton Fulton's good. Um, I'm, I'm also pretty high, you know, on JT Ginn too. Uh, the Mets killed the, the first three picks. They just killed it. Uh, and, you know, Ginn was a, you know, former first round pick by the Dodgers, you know, so that kind of, you know, makes me feel even a little, a little bit better, you know, to the, all right, the Dodgers wanted him. Took him in the first round uh, two years ago. You know, he didn't sign. Ended up going to Mississippi State. 
you know, you drop down to 52nd overall this year to the Mets, um, as I mentioned, because he had Tommy John surgery. But, you know, overall, Ginn is, you know, has three pitches that could be you know, above average offerings. He can miss b- bats with all of them. You know, fastball, slider, changeup, pretty solid enough command and control as well. So we'll see how he um, is after the you know, coming back from the uh, Tommy John, but you know this is a very high upside arm as well. Um, one I really like here. Um, kind of going the opposite way here, though, Chris. There's one arm here that was taken in the first round. Uh, no, excuse me, second round. My bad. Uh, 46th overall, a guy that I would have put probably in the. 45, if kind of a near JT Ginn, Bobby Miller in that general ballpark about rankings, if he had literally been drafted by any of the other 29 organizations in baseball. But Chris McMahon out of Miami got taken by the Colorado Rockies, so he drops way down for me. You know, is, is that happening in your rankings? Did you, did you drop McMahon down after the draft with him going to Colorado? Yeah, it's it's a real shame because I had him. I think in the thirties, mm. like the the like near thirty one ish, before, and then he goes to the Rockies, and it just uh, it's the worst place <laughs> possible. I know why. I mean, I know the Rockies need pitchers, obviously, so they're trying to get guys that they can develop, and he's a good one. But we know how that goes. We know that Herman Marquez could be an ace, arguably outside of cores. There's so many guys we could list. Uh, unfortunately, he does fall. Man, he's got such a solid fastball, great changeup, developing curveball, good control. There's a lot to like, and he did. I mean, he pitched really well at Miami, and then he just get the worst landing spot possible. So he's dropped a decent bit for me. Let me see where I have him overall in my rankings now. I've got him 59th, which is okay. a big drop. Yep. Yeah, I have him 77th overall, and among pitchers, that's uh, I'm assuming in the 25th, 25 to 30 range of pitchers. Even though on talent alone, he's a top 20 arm in this draft. I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's that's something I've been valuing more and more, especially you know as I get you know more and more experience with with uh, you know scouting and analytical work with prospects, um, kind of learning you know what organizations are better. Than others with, with developing, you know, pitchers or hitters or whatever, and I'm, I'm not necessarily in Colorado's bad. Like they've kind of they've developed some players, but you, you got to factor in, you know, future home ballpark as well. It's kind of like how we were talking last week about Austin Wells is tailor made for you know Yankee Stadium. It's the exact opposite. You know, a pitcher gets drafted by Colorado, and you're like, oh great, they get to pitch half their games at Coors Field in the thin air. You know, and you mentioned you've seen what how it um, affected Herman Marquez, and really like look back over the years, like how many pitches have they had in Colorado that have been good for a long period of time? Like Ubaldo Jimenez was good for like half a season, Mike Hampton for like maybe two seasons. So it's like none, you know, none of these guys can really sustain long term success in court. That's why they get no free agent pitchers to go there. Not surprisingly, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a bummer that McMahon had to go there. You know, you, I, I was wondering, like, all these arms, like, the Rockies are going to draft at least one of these guys that I like. So, um, ha- ended up being McMahon. So, yeah, he drops down to 77 for me overall. But, hey, if you want a, you know, late-round dart throw, you know, yeah, he's better than a dart throw. I shouldn't say that. But 
Now, if you want to, you know, if you want to bank on the skills and that, you know, maybe he's the he's the savior that turns that pitching staff around. Then now McMahon's a good um, talent there uh, for sure. Um, you know, getting into the later rounds here, uh, still a lot more talent here. So we each should give a couple of names we like uh, kind of later on that you can get, you know, third, fourth, fifth round of your first year player draft that we think could break out and provide some solid value. So. Uh, Chris, who do you got for some late round targets here? Yeah, the first first one is uh, Alex Santos. I think the Astros draft really kind of flew under the radar, likely because you know they didn't have a first pick, first mm-hmm. round pick, or anything of that nature. So there wasn't any buzz around that. But I really like Santos a lot. I think they got good value here at seventy two overall. Um, he's six foot three, one eighty five frame at eighteen years old. So there's some projectability in there that. He can fill out that frame some. Um, he has a chance to develop a nice three-pitch mix between his fastball slider and changeup. Right now, his fastball sits between like 92, 93. Um, but with his frame, it's easy to see some velo gains there, I think, if he puts on some weight. I think you can kind of project that he gets up to the 95, 96 range even, which would be huge. Um, I think he's a lot more projection right now than stuff, but he's definitely worthy of a late-round pick because – Again, the Astros draft doesn't get talked about. Santos doesn't really get talked about. So I think that you're going to be able to get him late enough where it is great value. So I like that uh, pick a lot by the Astros. And again, the Astros have a good track record of developing pitching. So seeing him there, I mean, even even at a young age, I think there's a lot of uh, development to be had. And so I like that a lot. Uh, The other one, another guy is actually one that was picked 34th overall, but he doesn't really get the buzz in first-year player drafts. And that's Justin Lang uh, with the San Diego Padres. Despite the high pick, like I said, he's going to go much lower. He's not really getting the hype because, one, there's a lot, a lot of projectability here. And there's an extremely low floor also. He's got a great fastball, average changeup. And actually, the changeup needs some work. The slider's probably average, um, but – with a 6'4", 220 frame, man, you could easily see that fastball getting up into the 90s here. I mean, see, high school guy again. And he was also a two-way player with some good raw power and speed. With his arm slot, there's some risk on his elbow, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops and if they try to kind of play around with his mechanics some. Again, the floor is probably really low, but the ceiling's really high. He's not going to go anywhere near where the Padres drafted him in FYPDs, I don't think. I think he's going to go like well after pick 50, if I had to guess. I haven't had a draft yet, but I'm, that's kind of where I'm pegging that he goes. And I think if he goes late enough, he's worth the upside risk there. So I take a shot on if you get him late enough because there is some potential. No, no doubt, no doubt. I definitely I uh, like Lang as well. I had him a little further down my rankings just because you know of the concerns you mentioned. You know far from a finished product I, I would say this you know i hate to say that number 30 34 overall pick is you know a project but he is a kind of work in progress where you know kind of you got the ingredients there we'll see if the potters kind of throw it all together and turn him into it turn him into a kind of a mid maybe mid rotation starter i think's a good spot for him um if everything breaks right um, with this development but you know, he, he could be a pen arm um we'll, we'll see but you know potters have a, a good track record like you mentioned so does houston um, it's kind of common theme if you all haven't figured that out with, especially with, with pitching. Uh, I think both for both hitters and pitchers, it obviously matters, but I think just a hair more 
on the pitching side of things with where these pitchers land and, and the organizations that they go in. Um, and you see that a lot of these guys we're mentioning are in, you know, systems that have a good track record, especially recently with developing pitchers. And you see that with Houston, you know, over, you know, fortunately hasn't really panned out yet. He's had some issues over the last couple of years, but still one of the top pitchers, but pitching prospects in the game, especially an upset alone, upset alone. He's right there with Mackenzie Gore. I truly believe that. Um, and then all the guys that come up recently, the Framber Valdez of the world, Christian Javier's, Jose Urquidy, guys like that, that weren't even necessarily like really, really top pitching prospects. But, you know, Houston did well developing them, getting the most out of them. And, you know, they played a role in, you know, getting Houston as far as they went this year. So I uh, love both of those picks. Um, my two here, uh, another one that was drafted a little higher, but I think you can get them pretty late in your first year player draft is Ben Hernandez. Uh, righty out of uh, De La Salle Institute in Illinois, went 41st overall to the Kansas City Royals, who are uh, pretty solid at developing pitchers. You know, they had Brady Singer and Chris Bubich come up this year. So got um, uh, uh, Daniel Lynch and Jackson Coar, along with Asa Lacey, who they took fourth overall. So a lot of pitching talent in this farm system. Uh, Jonathan Boland as well. A lot of good, intriguing arms in this system. And, you know, they had a Ben Hernandez, who, you know, they can afford to wait on. Like I said, they've all, you know, all the pitching that's more major league ready. They can kind of plug into the rotation and see how Hernandez develops. But he had, you know, one of the best changeups in the draft. You know, with the velocity separation off of his like, kind of 92 to 94 mile an hour fastball, um, the velocity separation and the movement and the command he has with the pitch, easily plus, maybe even pushing 70 grade double plus territory. Um, it's a good fade, good depth on the pitch. But outside of his fastball and changeup, he hasn't really developed a you know consistent breaking pitch yet. Um, like he'll mix in a slider every now and then, but it's, it's fringe at best right now. Um, but you know if he can really, I think that's the key right there. You know, he's got pretty solid command and control, like I mentioned. You know if he can just really develop a breaking pitch one that can flash above average to complement this fastball and change up. And I think there's some really, really good breakup potential here over the next uh, couple of seasons. So uh, yeah, Ben Hernandez is one I'm definitely uh, keeping an eye on here moving forward. And then another, <laughs> another pitcher from a great system here. Um, another one with first rounds you know, upside that went a little later, uh, Clayton Beater uh, to the Dodgers number 66 overall uh, righty out of Texas tech university. And as I mentioned in my you know, top 100, you know, I started out with, this is about as high of a risk of war pick as you can find in this year's first year player draft. Uh six, two right-hander. I said, great stuff, but he's also had two elbow surgeries um, and very, very little track record, but you know, he is um, at least four offerings that are, you know, average or better. Um, got a nice, nice, solid fastball, low to mid nineties. You know, um, you guys got to love the raw upside in this arm. You really do. You know, t- throws two distinct breaking balls, both which flash above average, um, plus at times though inconsistently. But if he can really just about getting on, getting those reps on the mound, like he has the, like I said, he has four pitches he can all throw that are all projected to be at least average to plus, you know, major league offerings. But he hasn't really had a chance to really really work with them, really get any momentum on the mound due to those injuries I mentioned. So, you know, if he can get on the mound, stay healthy, 
know, he's in a great system with the Dodgers here. Um, like I said, arguably the best farm system in, in terms of player development. Uh, he's one that just the upset alone, you know, obviously very low, uh, should be very high risk, you know, with a low floor, but very high floor as well. Like floor, you know, I mean, a high ceiling, excuse me. Um, ceiling wise, he's like up in the you know, Kate Cavalli, Jared Kelly range. I really think he's up that high in terms of upside, but uh, it's a lot more risk due to the, just the track record and the injury history here. So really like Clayton Beater here um, as a breakout pick. Um, I guess that's going to wrap us up here. We've talked a lot of good names here up and down our rankings here. So guys, you can get late um, in, in your drafts. Hopefully, you know, like I said, if you have a lot of picks this draft, this is where you know, if you want to stock up on your pitching, you know, this is where this is the draft to do it. So um, hopefully this helps you out in your upcoming first year player drafts. Again, you can check out the hitter version of this that we did last week in episode one. Um, a lot of great names there as well. This was a, a talented and stacked draft. Uh, up and down. Um, so hopefully, like I said, hopefully this helps you out. That's, that's where we're aiming here. That's where our goal is to help everybody out, especially here in your first year player draft this, which are probably coming up pretty soon here. I know I got a few coming up over here over the next month or two. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. But um, again, follow all of us on Twitter. You know, I'm at Eric Cross 04. Chris is at Roto Clegg. Our show is at Fantrax Toolshed. We'll be back again, same time next week. Um, not sure what we're talking about yet. Maybe some international guys. We'll see uh, a lot of different ways we can go, but we'll have something for you. That is for sure. So for uh, Chris Clegg, I'm Eric Cross. We will see you again next week. <laughs>